the best stuff. Uh, Beatrice. Okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you really <laughs> yeah. did have a, a, uh, a paste malfunction. All right. Sorry, Andrew. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we talk about a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack, here with Joseph Dorowski, and our special guest, uh, returning to the show, Kirsta Christensen. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. How's everybody? Doing well. Kirsta, how have you been? Good. Um, I am wearing shoes for the first time instead of boots for weeks, so very happy about that. It's getting a little bit warmer. (laughs) So this is a, a winter issue. Is yes. <laughs> not like walking boots after an injury. No, not a not a not having not owning shoes issue. It's just a shoes versus boots issue. Right. Okay. Uh listeners, if you uh think back, I think we've had you on twice. Is that mm-hmm. correct? For Scarlet Pippernell and uh The Air Affair. The, the Air Affair. The Air Affair. There's an X, but yes, the Air Affair. So if you like this episode and you haven't listened to our back catalog, I would recommend you go back and find those two. Today, we are going to be talking about Beatrice and Benedict from Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs> the script for this 1993 film was adapted by Kenneth Branagh from the 1598-ish play by William Shakespeare. It stars <laughs> Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson and was directed by Branagh. All right. Uh, Branagh trimmed lines and rearranged some of the scenes, but he didn't write any new dialogue for this. It has a 91% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, Branna and Thompson were married when this was made. I'm uh, guessing then that they are not now currently married. That no. would be correct. <laughs> <laughs> not so much. Okay. <laughs> All right. So okay, here's your uh, trivia. Um, Emma Thompson married Greg Wise, who she met in Sense and Sensibility, which means that Eleanor ended up with Willoughby, which strikes me as one of the most <laughs> unlikely Austin pairings of of all. <laughs> little bit of a real life shipping. Right, exactly. (laughs) So how did we all come to this work? Uh, I can't remember not knowing about it, I guess. (laughs) Uh, It's one of those, my family had, it's one of the movies we had on VHS and older siblings would watch it some and um, then come junior high drama, of course I chose some Benedict monologues. (laughs) Why would you not? (laughs) So this came out in 93. I was, I guess I would have been about 13. And I remember when it was in the theater. Yeah, I guess, really well, I say, I said I, I don't remember it not being there. I just, I guess I remember my oldest brother going to see it in the theater. And yeah. then, like, I think right when it came out on VHS, they got it. Right. So, yeah. And and Robert Sean Leonard was still writing high from, from Dead Poets Society. So he was kind of a big name that was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't see it in the theater but I think it, well, cause it was P, I, I didn't really want to see it. And then also like it was PG 13 and that was kind of controversial of like, why is Shakespeare PG 13? Um, <laughs> cause he should be R. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I saw it a few years later on, on VHS or something. I'm sure. Uh, I am certain that you, Joe, introduced me to this when we were in high school. This version um, of it probably, right? No, any version. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike some people on this podcast, I did not grow up uh, just, you know, with surrounded by Shakespeare. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I think we watched it then. And actually, as I was watching it um, last night, I thought, I don't know if I've ever seen this thing all the way through. I know I've seen the end a lot of times, but I don't ever remember seeing the beginning so, but anyway, I th- I'm sure that that was, was the first one of the, time that I saw it. Was, was the first school. time you saw it when our friend Brad Reed started singing and dancing Hey Nani Nani and screaming it at the top of his lungs as he danced I'm through the sure streets? That, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that that was it. And I thought, what in the world is this thing? And then you said, oh, you've got to see this, like, final shot. And so... <laughs> I was obsessed with the last shot for a good while. I think I'm sure that... I'm sure that I watched the final shot with you many times, uh, many more times than Pay I actually saw Pay attention to when they start film. throwing the rice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, the timing is exquisite. Yes. So, ha- uh, so have either of you seen other versions of this, either on stage or on screen? I've seen the uh, Joss Whedon... I've seen that one. ...much ado film uh, yeah. that he made secretly while he was tired of making Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched that one actually today for the second time. I've seen that one uh, one other time. And I've seen several stage productions. My favorite one was down at the Shakespeare Festival in Cedar City, Utah. Todd, you're, woo, 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 you're stomping woo. ground. 
Uh, that might might have been my favorite production, even more than this, just because it had everything and and they they do an excellent. They did a really good job with uh, with the farce elements of you know uh-huh. the, the hidden you know who knows what and and um, the the scene of Benedict hiding is always a high point. But they did a particularly good job with it. It involved an actor on stage diving into a fountain of water and splashing oh water everywhere. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So I have a I have a funny um, story about my daughter now someday when she's on podcast and they say when was the first time that you heard about much ado about nothing she will say this <laughs> uh, my dad had to run into the library to check out this DVD and I said dad what is that movie and he said it's called much ado about nothing and I said dad I want to watch that with you and he said. Uh, I don't think you'll be watching this with me and I said why and I said well because it's rated PG thirteen and and I said why. And I said, because it's about, you know, just grown-up stuff. Well, what kind of grown-up stuff? Uh, it's the kind of stuff you wouldn't understand. Well, try me. <laughs> she's seven. She's uh, six. Well, try me. Um, well, it's about people falling in love and being confused. Well, I can understand that. <laughs> she's got a point. <laughs> she goes, I can understand that. Why can't I watch it? And I said, um, we'll watch it when you're older. <laughs> So I showed my seven-year-old the the famous scene when Kenneth Branagh is hiding from uh, his friends who are who are trying yes. to bait him, and she laughed out loud at like at the right parts. And then afterwards, I asked her like, "Did you understand all of that?" And she's like, "No, but I knew what was going on. But those words were weird." <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really 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 good scene. Oh yeah, it, it, with the chair. Yes. It, well, I mean, just oh, that yeah. scene in any production I've seen is kind of like the high point of of yes. the production. But this version of it is amazing. And I've also seen, I think this version has kind of like dictated how people imagine that scene in their minds. And it's now like flavored all the stage productions mm-hmm. or most of the stage productions I've seen since then. I, I don't remember cool. seeing any before then. But <laughs> <laughs> now I say you could do other things, but everyone kind of does mm-hmm. the a, a lot of the kind of Toronto stuff. Yeah. Cool. Let's see. Kirsty, you've got the long, uh, the long synopsis No, I here. have the long synopsis actually. Oh, well, have you done the short synopsis? No, Todd's about to no. do that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> this is just our smooth segueing from one, one point to the next. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with this uh, work of theater uh, or film, uh, this is the story of, well, it's, <laughs> it's complicated. There's, there's kind of two storylines. There's two storylines. There's one that is the story of a guy named uh, Benedict and a woman named Beatrice, and they hate each other, and they fight with each other constantly. And there's another guy named Claudio who is in love with a woman named Hero, and they really, really like each other. And But then they, they fight. <laughs> and then they fight. And the ones that we're fighting don't. <laughs> yes. If that, sounds, if that sounds interesting to you... <laughs> That may be the worst, uh, the worst short synopsis of a really great piece of theater ever. I don't know how else to do that. Yeah, I, I think that was good. But now I also understand why our producer Andrew keeps telling us to write that out. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I mean, it really is like a bunch of people get together in a big house. And there's tons of misunderstandings. And there's love and misunderstandings. And then it ends. And more love and more misunderstanding. I don't know what else to say. I, I think that, that covers it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player if you've still got one hanging around. All right. Well, if you do not want this 400-plus-year-old play spoiled for you, now's your chance <laughs> to stop listening. <laughs> until, as, as the spoiler warning, been, you know, it's run out after 400 years. <laughs> I, I think so. I feel like even the title is a spoiler. <laughs> yes, there's much ado about nothing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit on the nose. Right. <laughs> All right. Is there a, like a statute of limitations or something on this? Yes. Like- uh, well, well, here we go. Here's the full synopsis. <clears throat> Uh, and this, like we said, some of these scenes are rearranged, so uh, like everything that happens to this happens in the play, but the order that I'm about to relate is for the Kenneth Branagh adaptation of the play. Not necessarily what you'd find if you picked up your complete works of Shakespeare. Probably the Norton anthology. No, 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 not the Norton Shakespeare. I was going to say not Folger. I've what got was Folger I going right for? in front of me here. Do I have a Norton? What do I have? What's my green one? 
You're the, no, do you have a not. signet <laughs> classic? <laughs> uh, I grew Bedford. up. Bedford. That's the one. Bedford. I said Norton, have... but I meant Bedford. I grew up with Riverside, so I'm going to yeah. be loyal to that. Although when I was little, I mostly just used it to press flowers because it was the biggest book we had in the house. <laughs> it is a big one. Yeah, mine's a Bedford. That's that's what I have. Well, I guess one of mine. I have a couple. <laughs> I, I ended up with multiple complete works of Shakespeare. Obviously, there's some overlap in those. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I, I could probably do to just trim that shelf back. <laughs> But you know, I always when I when I pick up a new version or a new play. So because I study Spanish literature, I don't really know the Bard as well as I feel like I should. <laughs> but I, I set a goal a long time ago to just sort of slowly work through the plays. And when I do, I always buy a hard copy because I think if the world ends, I want to <laughs> have Shakespeare with me. So I have little you know little paperback copies of all of these things i don't have the complete works in uh hardbound with flowers <laughs> well your your shelves are the lesser force if the world but... ends people will come <laughs> if the world ends the he is he is on my shelves and 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 the world will be better i will say i can help i'm a literature professor and i have hard copies of shakespeare <laughs> all right well here we go into the synopsis for much to do about nothing Beatrice is reciting poetry to a group of lounging picnickers when a messenger arrives announcing that men are returning from war. Beatrice makes some Hooray! very snarky inquiries about a man named Benedict, and we learned that she and Benedict always, always quarrel. Hero shots of the men returning uh, happen, and then everyone runs and bathes, because you got to bathe to be fresh. <laughs> There's a lot of bathing for a couple of minutes of, of screen time here. That's uh, why it's rated PG-13. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Extended bathing. <laughs> Don Pedro, yes. the leader of a band of soldiers, asks Leonardo if they can visit for time. Leonardo agrees, and much merriment is felt. Everyone cheers. Uh, now let's get some of the cast of characters established. On the soldier side, there's Don Pedro, played by Denzel Washington, who is generally a good guy. Don Pedro is best friends with Claudio, played by Robert Sean Leonard, a young soldier who is madly in love with Hero. More on her in a moment. And there's also Benedict, played by Kenneth Branagh, who is an arrogant goofball. He's sort of the class clown of the group. Uh, in the soldiers group, there's also Don John, played by Keanu Reeves. Just let that simmer for a moment. Uh, and wait for it. He's the half-brother of Don Pedro, played by, played by Denzel Washington. Uh, Don John is sullen, melancholy, and we shall shortly discover evil. He has a couple of hedgemen named Baraccio and Conrad. Now, over on Leonardo's side, there is Leonardo, who is the governor of Messina and the father of Hero. Hero, played by Kate Beckinsale in her first on-screen role, I believe. Uh, she is sweet, innocent, and not nearly as strong-willed as her cousin Beatrice. Beatrice, played by Emma Thompson, is fiery, sharp-witted, and clever, and she knows it. There is a war of words of, and wits between Beatrice and Benedict, with each insulting the other in turn. But this is almost a, as much performance art for everyone that's assembled as it is an actual court world between the two of them. Leonardo says that they'll throw a ball for the visiting soldiers that night, and everyone goes their separate ways. Claudio confesses to Benedict that he is in love with Hero. Benedict thinks this is just beyond the pale. This is absurd. Uh, Don Pedro joins them and congratulates Claudio on his taste. Claudio, who's a bit naive about love, is nervous about asking Hero for her hand in marriage. So, naturally, Don Pedro says that he'll wear a mask at the masquerade and pretend to be Claudio, and he'll ask Hero if she'll marry him. This is just the start of some of the twists and turns that many relationships this take. Is so, this is so weird. Um, that night, uh, oh, um, and when she says yes at the, at the party, he will then bring her over to Claudio. Uh, Don John's henchman over here overhears the plan. Don John gives a monologue giving one of the thinnest motivations for villainy ever. This is not a high point for Billy uh, in terms of character development. <laughs> when, when Shakespeare wrote that monologue, he was just like, uh, he's the bad guy. <laughs> Let's have him say, I'm the bad guy. And that's about as far as it goes. Uh, and they... What's the... The line is like, I am yes. a plain villain. Yeah. And that, that's like his that. motivation for being a bad guy. Um, yes. Then he and his henchmen, they hatch a plan to mess things up for Don Pedro and Claudio at the party. At the masquerade that night, Don Pedro does his plan, but Don John finds Claudio and tells him that Don Pedro is wooing Hero for himself. I don't know, like, what the goal is of this plan. Like, how long is this this is gonna hold up, Don? Yeah, John's yeah. plan. Well, I think he just he, wants to. He he's yes. an agent of and, chaos. Yeah, 
We'll talk some more about him. Uh, Benedict, wearing a mask, <laughs> sees Beatrice, who pretty clearly, she knows it's Benedict. It's clear to the audience. And so she insults Benedict. Like, like Benedict is pretending not to be Benedict. And Beatrice says, oh, this is Benedict over there. And she's like, hey, do you know Benedict? He's a clown and a buffoon. Uh, and uh, so she insults him nonstop for a bit of sport. And Benedict, though, because he thinks he has fooled her, and now he's hearing her true fooling feelings, he's a bit more hurt than he was in their earlier wordplay when they were kind of doing it for show. Claudio is acting all put out, um, and Benedict doesn't understand why, but nobody communi- <laughs> communicates clearly enough with anyone else to resolve any, any of this. Uh, Benedict sees Beatrice coming, and he storms off because he's all offended. And Beatrice seems to realize that maybe she went a little too far. Don Pedro, Claudio, and Hero meet up, and they sort things out in, like, ten seconds. <laughs> And, and Claudia's over it. <laughs> Don Pedro and Beatrice, they share a little moment. And Don Pedro kind of slyly asks if she would consider him for marriage, but she demurs. Claudio and Hero want to be married immediately, but Leonardo says that they'll have to wait until a proper wedding can be arranged. And Don Pedro says, don't worry, I've got some sport in mind that's going to help us all to pass this time. He wants to conspire to get Benedict and Beatrice to fall in love. Now comes the best stuff, what everyone thinks about for Much Ado About Nothing. Benedict gives this great monologue about bachelorhood. Um, while he has some hijinks with a collapsing chair that gives a little bit of physical comedy. Uh, then Benedict sees <laughs> Leonardo, Claudio, and Don Pedro talking, and he catches on that they're speaking him, uh, they're, they're speaking about him. He hides and he sneaks and he spies on them as they discuss that Beatrice is in love with Benedict. Uh, but she's afraid to let him know this. High comedy ensues, uh, as through editing and acting, uh, lots of physical comedy happens. There's great reaction shots. Uh, Benedict gives really good reactions to the camera. And the three men also throw in some jibes at Benedict, saying that his proud nature makes it better that he never know the truth because he would just mock Beatrice. Uh, the men leave, and then Beatrice, uh, comes out because they've sent her to ask Benedict to come into dinner. He is awkwardly flirtatious with her. <laughs> <laughs> much, much to Beatrice's <laughs> confusion. She does not know what to make of this. And as she's going back into the house, she overhears Hero and her maid Ursula talk about how much Benedict is in love with Beatrice. She stops and hides and sneaks and spies on them, and it is overwhelmed by this information. Hero and Beatrice also throw in some remarks about negative aspects of Beatrice's character uh, that make her too intimidating to approach romantically. Benedict and Beatrice are both overjoyed at what they've heard, and they vow to change their more negative characteristics to be more enticing to the other. Now we meet Dogberry, played by Michael Keaton. The first person you think of for Shakespeare. The buffoonish constable... He's I think he's so he is, awesome. He's really He's Dogberry is a buffoonish constable who speaks entirely in malapropisms. Like, he, nothing comes out right. He sets a guard to watch through the night, <laughs> uh, though his instructions are utter nonsense. Don Pedro is once again up to no good. He and Baraccio plot how to ruin Claudio in Hero's wedding. Don Pedro, Claudio, and Leonardo spy Benedict primping in the mirror. <laughs> and he announces, I am not as I have been. And he asks to speak with Leonardo. Um, Don John goes and he gets Don Pedro and Claudio to come look at Hero's window, where Baraccio is behaving amorously with one of Hero's handmaidens. Uh, though to their view, it looks as though Hero, quote, knows the heat of a luxurious bed, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the guardsmen capture Conrad and Baraccio when they hear them bragging about their conspiracy to ruin the wedding. Then on the wedding day, Dogberry tries to tell Leonardo that, hey, we caught some guys who were up to no good last night, but he's speaking such nonsense that Leonardo can't really tell what's going on, and he's all worried about the wedding. So Leonardo tells Dogberry, well, you go interrogate them and find out what's going on. At the wedding, after the wedding starts, and as he's standing in front of the friar with Hero, (laughs) Claudio, uh, backed by Don Pedro, decides that this is the right moment to accuse Hero of having been unfaithful. And he... I think this is not Claudio's no. best moment. This, this isn't a mild accusation. Like, Does he's Claudio really... have a good moment? Ah, <laughs> uh, let, Let's see okay, that discussion until okay, we're at sorry. the end. He gets violent and angry. He throws Hero at her father. She faints. Claudio and Don Pedro storm off. There's utter chaos. And then the friar, because it's always the friar that's hatching these plans, he says, hey, how about a scheme <laughs> right now? <laughs> you, know, uh, you know what I just realized? The one thing that Claudio needs is Kylo Ren's lightsaber. <laughs> and he's just a temper tantrum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I can see that. It's the, it's the one prop that, that, that they <laughs> need. Someone should uh, edit that in to the scene. Like, you, you can put it in his hand. Because <laughs> he goes and throws down everything. He shoves the, the pews all down. So, 
It is a temper tantrum yeah, that he he's throws very right angry. There. Do we know if this was written first or if Romeo and Juliet was written first? Because when I hear the friar being like, I have a great idea, <laughs> I'm like, no, this is not a good idea. Uh, this was 98. I think Romeo and Juliet was earlier, but okay. let me double check the recesses of my mind. I want I would say, yes, it's earlier. I'd say Romeo and Juliet like is earlier. But... That is my absolutely uneducated opinion. <laughs> Oh, I said 93. It's believed to have been written between 91 and 95. I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Well played, (laughs) Mr. Dorowski. All right. So back to the friar (laughs) announcing a scheme. Uh, He says, clearly something's wrong. Someone's not getting anything. So instead of a conversation, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's have a hero who had fainted when they stormed off. Let's tell them that she's dead. And Hero, you're going to be in hiding for a little while. We're just going to move you off stage, which is about as interesting as you are when you're on stage anyway. <laughs> Harsh. Um, so, hey, uh, can I ask a, a point A point of uh, yeah. clarification here? Uh, is there an understanding that Leonardo has killed Hero or that she just died of... Uh, it it I don't know. seems from... I, my understanding is that they think the shock of these accusations killed her. Right. And that's the way it's treated. Okay. In l- okay. latter scenes. All right. Okay. So let's see. Here's the scheme. We're going to pretend Hero's dead. And when Claudio is overwhelmed with gl- grief that Hero died, maybe then he'll think she was innocent. And then we can have the wedding again. And that's the plan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love this play, but there's some weak points. <laughs> maybe catching on. Uh, and then in the chapel, uh, Benedict and Beatrice make peace from all of their earlier quarreling. But Beatrice is angry about how Hero has been treated, and she has Benedict to defend Hero's honor, and he agrees. And this is just a really good scene. Like, this is the best in the midst of what is, I mean, it's a comedy, even after what we just described. Like, this is the dramatic scene that really sings, uh, and is Shakespeare doing the best kind of Shakespeare. So Don John is now all giggly with success um, from his evil schemes, and he just runs out of the city. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe in the in the screenplay it's described as a seemingly endless hallway of torches or something. <laughs> and that's like what it looks like, yeah. <laughs> and Baraccio and Conrad are being poorly examined by Dogberry. Hilarity ensues, uh, in lots of verbal comedy. Uh, but the judge witnessing the proceedings actually figures out what's going on, even though Dogberry doesn't. And now Don Pedro and Claudio, they double down on their belief in Hero's lack of innocence during a conversation with Leonardo. They're kind of jerks. Uh, Benedict shows up, and they want to, him to cheer them up with quips. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're a little down that Hero's dead. Could you make us happy, <laughs> Benedict, with your sense of humor? Gotcha. Uh, but instead, he challenges Claudio to a duel. Uh, he says, I will make it good how you dare with what you dare and when you dare. Great line. Great challenge. That is a thrauntlet. A thrauntlet. That is a gauntlet being thrown down. Thrauntlet is not a word. (laughs) Speaking of malapropisms. It is now. (laughs) Just channeling a little dogberry right there. Um, And Benedict... At this point, does Benedict know that Hero yes. is innocent? Well, he, he's siding with Beatrice. He doesn't yeah. know exactly. Yeah. He, he doesn't know exactly everything's oh, going on, okay, but right, he's one hundred percent in Beatrice's camp mm-hmm. now. And he tells them that Don John has fled and that an innocent girl is dead. And again, we don't quite know how all that. Like, he doesn't have quite all the information, but he seems to be surmising what's going on. Because right after this, Don Pedro and Claudio run into Dogberry and Baraccio, and this is where all the information really comes out, and the entire plot is brought to light, and Don Pedro and Claudio are racked with guilt. And I should, I should just, I, I want to clarify right now. I have watched this film now. I mean, I watched the, the Branagh version of the film, then I watched the Joss Whedon of the film, and read the script in preparation for this, and there are still parts of this plot where I'm like, Aren't you also not, uh, not for lack of preparation? Are you also on my teaching part. this this semester? Yes, <laughs> next week. <laughs> nice timing. All right. Uh, so yeah. Claudio he goes and begs forgiveness from Leonardo, and carrying the whole charade one step further um, than anyone might, you know, as anyone else might say. You know what? I think we're good now. But instead, Leonardo says, "Hey, Claudio." I want you to go single event at Hero's grave, and then I want you to marry my niece, who's almost a copy of Hero. <laughs> and, and who we've never mentioned before. Yes, yeah, who, who you didn't even know existed. You're about to marry into the family. There's a niece. <laughs> Just so you know. And Claudio agrees to marry this woman that he's never met. And they all go and mourn Hero that night. In the morning, Benedict is trying to write a love song 
Wait, 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 wait. I thought that the niece was Beatrice. Beatrice is a niece, but that's not the one he's talking about. Right. He specifically says it's oh. going to be another niece, the one that's almost a copy of Hero. Man, I feel so silly. <laughs> So in the morning, Benedict is trying to write a love song to Beatrice, and he's doing it very poorly. Uh, <laughs> but very, uh, but yes. it's very funny. Beatrice comes, and they spar verbally, but it's so different a tone. Like, it, it, like the lines are the same kinds of lines that are there in the early scene, but the actors do such a good job of all the times that they spar of having different meanings for the kind of verbal wordplay that they do. And it's time now for Claudio's wedding. Uh, before Benedict, before the wedding, Benedict says that uh, he's going to need the friar to do him a favor. <laughs> I'm going to need a solid from you. <laughs> and then a veiled woman comes and stands before Claudio. And then, in the midst of the ceremony, she is unveiled. Anyone know who this is? Any guesses? Any guesses? It is Hero. Claudio cannot believe it. <laughs> and then he does, though. <laughs> and then they, they get married. Uh, pretty quickly. Cla- Claudio believes things easily. Let's, let's point <laughs> <Yes>. that out. <laughs> Everyone is going off to celebrate, and then Benedict says, hey, stop, everyone, um, I need Beatrice here, and Beatrice comes, and they spar again, a little more performance kind of art, where they're each kind of saying, well, no, you're in love with me, no, you're in love with me, and, uh, and then uh, Claudio and Hero, they, they pull out some love letters that they know that they've been writing, and so... Uh, Beatrice gets to read a love letter that Benedict was writing. Benedict reads the love letter that Beatrice was writing. They they blush and smile at each other. Uh, and then they kiss. And then a captured Don John is brought back to be punished. And then there's one of the greatest tracking shots in cinema history as they all dance through the grounds. Uh, and they, they're singing Hey Nani Nani. And the camera is doing amazing things going from uh, being on a track to being on a steady cam to being on a crane that's lifting. It's just glorious. Go watch this last scene. That's awesome. The last yeah. shot. It is, it is awesome. And the end. Yep. Hooray! Wow. And lots of clapping. Lots of good-natured, like, Shakespearean, ha-ha-ha, clap, clap, clap. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, the classic definition for Shakespeare tragedy is it ends with everyone dead, and comedies end with a marriage. And we have two marriages in this one. All right. So where do we go from here? Can we talk about the speed of the marriages and funerals in this play? <laughs> Like, I realize it's a play, and so we have to have a compressed time scene, but it's like, and you're engaged today. Let's get married tomorrow. No, well, no, no. They say, can we get married tomorrow? Yeah. Leonardo says, no, no, no. We must wait a reasonable amount of time. Three days or so, it seems. I don't know. Exactly. And then she dies, and her funeral's tomorrow, and then you have to marry her cousin. Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and Beatrice. And Beatrice and Benedict <laughs> fall in love within this three-day right, span right. and get married. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, uh, there, of all the contrivances, that mm-hmm. is maybe one of the lesser contrivances. That's true. That's of, true. Of, <laughs> I know. If we're going to take, uh, at, at Nance, I don't know that that's, that, that, that would be where I mean, we, we had a little fun when we were reading through the plot, and, uh, you just mentioned, like, this all happens really fast. And, there, like, there's just some odd things. And you just, with Shakespeare comedies, you go in and just know, mm-hmm. like, relationships are going to form and fall apart very rapidly. And the enjoyment isn't from, like, the logic of these relationships. It's from the the language and, uh, in this case, the performances of, of Brana and Thompson, which, who are really bringing their A-game uh, to to these words uh, mm-hmm. of, of Shakespeare's. Um, let, maybe let's talk a little bit about all the cast. Because Brana very specifically said he did not want classically trained Shakespeare actors who do kind of the faux Shakespeare enunciations. He wanted people to speak this conversationally. And so he wanted American actors, he wanted British actors, he just wanted to mix and everyone to kind of speak as as, as is. And I think the results are a little mixed. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I would say by and large... Uh, really good. Yes. And I weak would point. Really... All right, everyone think of the weak point of this in your head. I don't want us to, to tarnish each other's opinion. And on three, we're all going to say, where does it not work? One, two, three. Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> Hateful bunch. <laughs> Denzel does a great like, job. Ke- uh, for what the role is, I think Robert Sean Leonard does a good job. I think Denzel Washington is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and, and Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson are just, I mean, it doesn't sound in any way dated like Shakespeare. It's just, these yeah. are two people having playful conversations. But Keanu, it's just, ooh. Yeah, it's, it's rough. <laughs> but here's a th- here's the thing that I, w- I would like to say to our listeners. There may be some people listening to this who haven't, haven't ever had a really great experience with Shakespeare. And I, and I, I know... I don't know, this may be controversial, but I, I feel like everybody thinks that they're supposed to like Shakespeare, and then they maybe they read, uh, I don't know, Macbeth or something in high school, and they're like, well, that was kind of weird. 
And maybe they see like a BBC, you know, the, the BBC did like a version of every Shakespeare play and they're good, but they're, they're not maybe the most accessible uh, at times, but to watch really great actors do Shakespeare and to, to, to say lines and they know what they're saying, (laughs) they know what it means. And they're able to uh, do it, like you said, like conversationally. It makes such a big difference. And uh, I think this is one of the best films that I know of where somebody who's thought, Mom, you know, maybe maybe it's time for me to give Shakespeare another try. Uh, this would be a great place to jump I, in. I, think. I absolutely agree. Um, Brana has said that like his what he feels is the best compliment he ever receives is after a performance backstage or after the film was released when people say, oh, you, you put in some modern lines. Mm-hmm. And, he's, yes. and he's like, no, I didn't, but thank you. Because <laughs> that's what we want you to feel, is that um, this is contemporary. That this, you know, and, and some of the lines, like, uh, when he says, there's a double meaning in that. Like, that feels so <laughs> modern, but it's there in the original Shakespeare. Yeah. Well, and Yeah, it's really, really good. I, I think he does some modern things with the intonation, because when he's talking mm-hmm. about, like, Claudio coming, he's like, oh, there's the prince and Monsieur Love. And yeah. I feel like that particular intonation that- is more modern, but that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. you can play with that. You know, that's that's kind of his choice to take that kind of liberty while keeping the exact text that Shakespeare wrote. And he does, yeah. um, for doing a film version of it, he, like, some of the things he cut, he said, I could show that visually in shorthand. <laughs> um, so I don't need to do a whole scene because we're trying to compress I mean, a full performance of this play. is probably four hours long right. with, the, with yeah. the intermission and they're trying to compress, you know, basically half of that. So when I could tell it quickly visually, I'm going to do that. And some, of, and some of the gags that happen are, like, purely visual gags that aren't in the original script. Like, mm-hmm. when he does the bird call and they all, um, the three men that are hearing this bird call, they all motion bird to each other in, in kind of a humorous <laughs> way. Um, you know, that's something that you can add in film that's not there in the original script. And I know one other thing that he specifically said he added visually is the balcony scene when Claudio thinks he's seeing Hero. Mm-hmm. In, in the play, that all happens off stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah, they say, yeah. they say, hey, here, Claudio, come over here. And they all leave. And then some <laughs> other scene happens, and then they come back, and, and they're like, I can't believe I saw that. <laughs> um, and Brana said, like, Claudio, I mean, you already made the joke here, so, like, he's kind of gullible. He kind of, like, and he said, having the visual impact of that and seeing it on Robert Sean mm-hmm. Leonard's face will hopefully make Claudio a little more palatable as a character and give a little more motivation to him. <laughs> He's still kind of a lame Shakespeare character. Like, well, he's not he, going to be held up with the greats. <laughs> I mean, Robert Shud Leonard absolutely sells the emotion, everything mm-hmm. he's doing. Um, he's just very gullible and, and, you know, almost ruins someone's life because of it. But, you know, but he sells it that he's, <laughs> yeah. that he believes that, you know, he truly believes in what he's doing. So. Yeah, I agree that it's the problem with, the problem with Claudio in this film is not the performance. It's the <laughs> so it's the character and the and the lines that he's given and just the the things that he's expected to do. There's no really there's no great way to redeem him. <laughs> um, let's talk a little about like the A plot and the B plot, and I don't know which one you want to consider which, but clearly for audiences, and this seems true from Shakespeare's day, even like there are references to like this play is Beatrice and Benedict, mm-hmm. and there's the yeah. secondary plot of uh, Claudio and Hero, and I love everything about the Beatrice and Benedict plotline. And I pretty much loathe <laughs> everything about the hero Claudio. Like it's so problematic, the things yeah. that he does and uh-huh. the way she just takes him back yeah. uh, and all these other things. There's a, a BBC version called, I think it was called Shakespeare revisited where they did updated versions mm-hmm. of his most iconic plays. Retold. retold. Was it retold? Yeah, I think maybe. And in the version of much to do that they did, like they kept the, the two plot lines, but then at the end, um, Hero and Claudio have a conversation, and Hero says, "Yeah, this isn't going to work between us. <laughs> <laughs> like what you did to me, not not all right." And not then she cool. leaves him there, <laughs> which I appreciate yeah. that updating. I think that was warranted. <laughs> so I, I, as I'm thinking about this, the relationship between Benedict and and Beatrice, I what was the note that I wrote to myself? So I have I have kind of two uh, questions here, um, and. I don't know. I don't know if there's a serious answer to either of these. I mean, it's comedy, comedy in the sense that it's not a tragedy, right? Mm-hmm. Comedy as in the opposite of tragedy. Um, anyway, these are the two questions. One, what do we learn about love from this uh, play? And two, what do we learn about trust? Because it seems to me that there, those are like two really key themes mm-hmm. that run throughout this: is love and trust. And in thinking about Benedict and Beatrice's relationship, there's something really delightful in it. Um, 
but the more, I don't know. I just, the more that I think about it, the more I wonder like how much of substance is there or is it all just an opportunity to have this great sparring between them and then, and then have them come together at the end? Well, is it a real relationship or is it, or is it just a great opportunity to show case Shakespeare's great ability to, does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Well, there's a hint that they had a relationship in the past. There's like two lines in the actual right. play that right. uh-huh. imply that they've had a romantic relationship. Right. And and some mm-hmm. versions choose to make that a bit more more overt. I think the I think the Joss Whedon version actually includes like a sort of pre-scene yes. that implies that it's they It's a prologue, right, yeah. Right. Um so I think I mean here's the thing like if I don't see them being that invested in each other unless unless they really cared about each other for some reason. Like, that that's not going to come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? Like, there has to be something there in the past for two people. That, because the opposite, you know, the opposite of, of love is apathy, right? Like, like right. why do they care about each other at all? Why do they, you know, want to sharpen their, their wits against each other? And it's because they've had that past relationship. And so I think if you kind of read that into it, that this is sort of repairing that, that old breach, whatever it was, then I think that makes the relationship feel like it has more depth. And it's not just like people arguing for the sake of argument. Yeah. You need to kind of uh, believe from, again, I think it's really just too light. Like mm-hmm. uh, Beatrice is something like I gave him my heart once. Uh, right. And, right. And, and I know him of old. Yeah. I know him of old. Yeah. And, uh, but that's about it. <laughs> like Shakespeare's <laughs> not really laying out what this past relationship is. It's just implied. But if you view this as kind of a broken, like, like they were in love, it fell apart. Now they are always at odds. And now, but underneath that at odds, they're still caring. Like that's why they, they're at odds so much. That's why, uh, you know, they're able to come together so quickly. It also makes that coming back together right. less jarring. <laughs> okay, so, so here's the specific line. Um, Don Pedro says, come lady, come, you have lost the heart of senior Benedict. Beatrice says, indeed, my Lord, he, he lent it me a while and I gave him use for it, a double heart for his single one. Mary once before he won it of me with false dice. Therefore your grace may well say I have lost it. Yeah. That's the, sure. Um, and Kenneth Branagh, he published uh, his version of the script, and he had an introduction where he went through it, uh, like why he chose Much Ado About Nothing and why he made some of the changes he did. And he said that he and Emma Thompson very deliberately decided that when they're about 10 years older than Hero and Claudio, mm-hmm. and when they were Hero and Claudio's age, they had that kind of love, like right. this naive, uh, you uh-huh. know, everything, the world, and, and then it fell apart, and they've been apart since then, and this is them as like an echo 10 years later coming, mm-hmm. coming back together. It's just an amazing, when I think about, um, Benedict and Beatrice. So they, they both have these great scenes where they're overhearing somebody say, well, she's really in love with him or he's really in love with her. And then it's like monologue, monologue, monologue. I will be horribly in love with her now after he <laughs> has said some really horrible, like, I mean, speaking of horrible, he said some horrible things to her. He's called her terrible names and he's sworn off love and all. And, and then all he has to hear is she actually really is into you. And then he goes, wow, I will be horribly, <laughs> I will be horribly in love with her. And Beatrice, her monologue is monologue, monologue, monologue. What fire is in my ears? Can this be true? Uh, and Benedict love on, I will requite thee taming my wild heart to thy loving hand. It's just like instantaneous. As soon as, as soon as they feel like the other one, is in love with them, then <laughs> there's no, there's like no debate. Mm-hmm. There's no, Oh, I feel so torn because, <laughs> because I gave him my heart once before and he broke it. Right. And, um, I mean, there's none of that. It's just like, actually she really likes you. And he goes, Oh, okay. okay well then I'm all in. <laughs> but, that, but that makes sense if each of them actually still cares about the yeah. other one and just thinks the other one doesn't because then it's like, the, 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 it's not just been performance art for everyone else. It's been right. performance art for themselves, sure, like protecting sure. their own hearts. Yeah. Like they're in love, but they don't want to be hurt the way they were hurt. So right. they're going to put on this facade right. of the verbal sparring that they always do. Yeah. And it, yeah, but don't, I mean, if, if somebody has broken your heart in, in a way that would make, that would fill you with that kind of like venom toward that person. And then, and then somebody comes and says, so, I mean, let's say, so, and this is why it, it, this goes back for, to me to the question of trust, because it it seems to me that when she says like I gave him my heart, I gave him a double heart, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I trusted him, and he broke that trust. I mean, when when trust is broken in a relationship, it is not easy to repair, and most people 
don't get to just come back and say, actually, she really still loves you. And then they go, oh, okay. Well, then it's fine that she that she broke my heart or that he broke my heart. I mean, it has been, in again, in Kenneth Branagh's interpretation of this, it's been 10 years and neither of them have moved on to, <laughs> uh-huh. to anyone else. Very true. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and it, uh, like Branagh's, or, or Benedict's monologue, which I love this monologue about, like bachelorhood, but it really feels kind of like someone who just had a bad breakup and is like, I'm never dating again. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think, and, and I'm sure that some of this also has to do with the, this compressed time that we talked right. about earlier, right. right? Where everything is compressed in here. So I'm not saying in any way that I don't like this play or that I don't even believe this relationship. Right. It just is, um, it just is curious to me, this idea of broken trust and how often and how quickly in this play trust is broken and then regained and then broken again and then regained and then people are in love and then they hate each other and then they're in love again and then they killed each other, but then they love each other again. <laughs> and, um, and I just wonder like if we decompress this, if there's something to be learned about those ideas of love and trust. Well, okay. Here's a similar thing. I think it's kind of similar, but this is the first theme that I wanted us to talk about, which is deception. Uh-huh. I'm like, when does this play think deception is okay? And when is it like, oh, you're <laughs> the ultimate villain because yeah. you're trying to deceive people. Yes. Yeah. And it seems to be mostly like, for, for the way this play presents things, deception itself is neutral. Right. <laughs> it is the motivation right. of the person behind sure. it that makes it an evil act or a, hey, let's all giggle together well, kind of act. And then you have uh-huh. the, when then you have the masquerade where I think the deception is literally neutral where everyone's putting on a mask. Mm-hmm. For uh-huh. good purposes or for bad purposes. It's just like we're all wearing masks and some of us are going to use it to woo in other people's names and some of us are going to use it to pretend we're not who we are and some of us are going to use yeah. it to really know who someone is but pretend we don't <laughs> know who someone is. And- yeah. So, I mean, the, the main deceptions that we get are uh, the everything that Don John does. Mm-hmm. Right to try uh-huh. and screw everything up for everyone, and that's always evil. And it's right. always—I mean—the staging in the play where they're in the dark underground supervillain <laughs> layers, <laughs> or, or I mean, in the film, yeah, did like they, it, it's very explicitly did, this is evil. Did they prepare that room specifically for Don John? <laughs> yes. well, like, and Don John, you'll have the basement. <laughs> yeah. if, if they'd given him a nice room, we have prepared a layer for you. <laughs> there's a burning fire. There's a there's a table where you can get a massage. <laughs> If they'd given him a nice room with curtains, would none of this have happened? <laughs> yes. A nice view of the ocean. That's There's right. a nice view of the ocean right there, but we're going to put you in the basement. <laughs> so, the, so all of his deceptions are obviously evil. But yeah. then the other deceptions we get are Don, Pedro, and his group saying, let's deceive Beatrice right. and Benedict to get them together. And I think universally the audience is okay with that deception because yeah. it's fun. It's It's got the positive outcome. But then there's also the deception of... Uh, like punishing Claudio. We're going to punish Claudio for mm-hmm. having uh-huh. been deceived, basically. Well, and there's a there's kind of a minor deception when Don Pedro is wooing Hero right. in, in Claudio's uh-huh. name, where that that Hero one wouldn't know who it was at first because he's wearing a mask, and then he takes the mask off, and then two wouldn't know who. I mean, like until he clarified. By the way, I'm doing this on behalf of Claudio, but you know, that's, it's a minor <laughs> so, deception, but it's still yeah, like you do. <laughs> All right, producer Andrew wants to jump in with a comment. I have two points. One, not universally accepted in favor of that deception, because I hate that deception, because I hate chicanery in people's relationships. I'm super opposed to it, and it's always bothered me about this play. Uh, so let also, it be written. I can't let remember it be, what, what the other it? one was. What's Hang on. So let it be written, so let it be done. It was... What does uh, Doggery say? Oh, Doggery? Doggery say? Oh, let it be written down that I am let an it ass. Be written down. <laughs> I am not a fan of Chikiev. We were talking about... Moving uh, someone on someone else's Oh, yes. Yes. Wonderful phrase. I don't know if it's in the original Shakespeare, but I recognize it from the Joss Whedon one. Uh, Don Pedro says, I will pitch woo <laughs> at Hero. And that's the best way to put that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's in the original. I'd have to go double check, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Joss Whedon is another one that didn't really tinker much with the uh, the dialogue. He he also yeah. cut and trimmed and rearranged, but right. he kept the dialogue pretty and close. modernized. Yes. So, uh, let's deception. See. Deception. Yeah. So I like what you've said about deception. That in this play, deception is neutral. It's like a hammer. Yeah. It just it it is a thing, and I think that that's different than the way that many people think about deception now. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I, I think. Most, many people, most people, hopefully, I don't know. <laughs> we can't use absolutes um, anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, would would say no. Deception is wrong. Like you, people should be honest and and forthright in their relationships with other people, and that deception is uh, in general frowned upon. Um, here, as you pointed out, we get a whole bunch of different versions of deception, and even and it's all in in its own way, it's all kind of playful. Mm-hmm. I mean, Don John, he just wants to he just wants to mess things up. He doesn't. I mean, even for as evil as it looks is it being in his evil lair and and he doesn't want to like kill anybody or you know poison somebody this is he just is like you know what i've been done wrong by and i see an opportunity to throw a wrench in stuff well, has he and been, so like, i'm going do to do we understand how he's been done wrong like he's just He's a lame villain. He just really... Not only is he lame in his motivations, but, like, he doesn't even come up with these plans. It's always Baraccio. <laughs> Baraccio was the one who was just like, hey, I found this out. Oh, okay. What yeah, can we do with do that? that? Oh, well, Baraccio said, why don't we do this? And yeah. Don just, oh, okay, let's what do does that. He say? What does he say when he when they go... Let's see, let's see, let's see. Should know me, not know me. No, it's before then. Move forward. Benedict and Margaret. Act two. Oh, it's, I think it's right at the end of Act one. Are you talking about uh, the original Shakespeare or the film? I'm talking about the. Uh, I'm looking at the at the uh, the Folger. I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm totally. It's totally high school English teacher to have the the Folger and not the whatever your version is. Bedford. <laughs> the Bedford. <laughs> A very forward march, chick. How came you to this? Let's see. Uh, come, uh, come, come, let us thither. This may prove food to my displeasure. That young startup hath all the glory of my overthrow. If I can cross him any way, I bless myself every way. You are both sure and will assist me uh, to the death, my lord. Let us to the great supper. There, t- I know, I'm, I'm a really great uh, Shakespeare reader. <laughs> <laughs> so conversational. Let us to the great supper. Their cheer is the greater that I am subdued. Would the cook were oh my mind. Shall we go prove what's to be done? I mean, he just says, like, if I can mess them up in any way, that's great. Yeah. Well, the best motivation I can give for Don John is that, I mean, because he's like the illegitimate half-brother of Don Don Pedro, Pedro. right? Is that basically, you know, he has the same father, they've grown up similar in some ways, maybe even in the same household, and yet Don Pedro has everything he could never have simply by chance of birth. And I don't think it's ever hinted at in the film version, but in the play, doesn't it say something, Todd, you've been reading the play more recently, doesn't it say something about Don Pedro actually, like, maybe causing mutiny (laughs) during the war? Don John, you mean? Oh, yeah, Don John. Yeah. I, I, something's hinted that they had a they had a rift and then they kind of mended it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And in the in the Weedham version, um, Don John comes out in like handcuffs. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. When they first show up, and then they and and he gets out of the car, and he and Conrad. Again, the Just Weedham version. If anyone has not seen it, it is completely updated to modern day, but keeps the Shakespeare la- mm-hmm. the Shakespeare language. Yeah. So language. instead of, instead of riding up on horses, they drive up in cars and they get out. And he and Conrad are, um, they have zip ties, like they've been handcuffed. Yeah. And then, um, and then Don Pedro cuts their, like cuts the zip ties before everybody gets there. Like saying, you are in trouble, but we're not going to really let on about that right now because we're just going to stay at Leonardo's house and have a good time. And so, and that's why Don John is also sullen at the beginning and, Anyway, it's not just Keanu's face. <laughs> Sullen. Keanu Reeves. Keanu, here's, I'm just going to say this. Uh, hopefully, only once because I don't. I don't think Keanu Reeves will show up lots and lots of times <laughs> on this podcast. But I just feel like Keanu Reeves only can ever play one character, which is Keanu Reeves. <laughs> it's, it's not Keanu the, Reeves. We, we said the same thing about Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> I know, but I know, but we actually did have this conversation with Humphrey Bogart, and we said Humphrey Bogart only ever plays Humphrey Bogart. But I love the character that Humphrey Bogart plays, and Keanu Reeves only ever plays Keanu Reeves, and I never like the character that false, he's playing. False. What about Bill and Ted? Come on, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one he is, but he's great. <laughs> I believe he is Ted Theodore Logan. Ted Theodore Logan, our producer Andrew's name. Oh, oh man! I'll tell you where where he where he really his his greatest role was in Babes in Toyland with Drew Barrymore. That was that was a great that was a great role. I'm you, you've gone Next outside week, my. <laughs> 
all old Keanu month. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very young Keanu Reeves with a very young Drew Barrymore. And Babes in Toyland? And Babes in Toyland. I'm almost, Are I'm you, checking the recesses really? in my mind right now because. That seems pre when they would have been that young. Hang on a second, hang on a second. Pre-existence. <laughs> <in laughs> Toyland. <laughs> She's 1986, a Babes in Oh, it was 1986? I thought that was an earlier film. I did not realize that was 86. And... Because she was oh, an E.T. Tell me he's so in yeah, here. Yes, yes, my memory did not fail me. Drew Marybor... Drew... Drew uh, excuse me. Malapropism left and right this episode. <laughs> Drew Barrymore as Lisa Piper, Richard Mulligan as Barnaby Barnacle, Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Piper, and Keanu Reeves as Jack B. Nimble. I had no idea Keanu Reeves played Jack B. Nimble in We've got that, Babes in Toyland. Is that the original Babes in Toyland? Was oh, this a remake? No, the original Babes in Toyland is very old. Uh, okay, okay. The original Babes in Toyland is, is 19... Like oh, very old. Very <laughs> Excuse, old. I'm, I'm going to uh, beg pardon of any of our listeners who think that 1961 <laughs> is not very old. <laughs> I just had no idea. Yeah, maybe that's what I was thinking. Right, I'm like, there's right. no way they were in that. But I didn't know there was <laughs> a remake. In a, in there's the a 1986, and they sing this song that, you know the, um, you know the, uh, oh, Joe, you wouldn't know because you haven't seen Inside Out. Um, and Inside Out, there's a song that comes back and always gets, that always gets stuck in people's heads. And and for me, it's the Cincinnati song from Babes in Toyland 1986. Listeners, if you've seen this film, please uh, please chime in. But uh, anyway, wow, that was a tangent. All right. Uh, what's our time at? Uh, you can do like 10 more minutes. 10 more minutes? Okay. Should we talk about Dogberry for a minute? Yes. Michael Keaton. Um, I love Dogberry. Yeah, Dogberry, great character. And so well played by Michael Keaton. Yeah. Producer Andrew wants to say something. I remember when I saw this and I realized that Shakespeare invented the Keystone Cops. (laughs) Because they're just bumbling and can't do anything. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. We mentioned, like, in some ways it's almost like there's a modern element there. 100% doing uh, Monty Python. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) In in, uh, the way they do the horses Mm -hmm. and everything. Uh, But it works. Works really well. Um, I, and this is another instance though, where like every version of Dogberry that I've seen has kind of been an echo of Michael Keaton, um, in all the stage productions I've seen. And I, and I'm wondering like, were there other versions of Dogberry out there before this? And now this has just become so big that everyone kind of does an imitation. Yeah. I don't think Nathan Fillion does. Oh, that's true. He, he does a different kind of buffoonery. I mean, it's always gonna be a buffoon. It's fantastic. Yes. But it's, but it, and they're, I mean, they're both Michael Keaton and Nathan Fillion are both fantastic as Dogberry, but they both interpret that role very differently. The interpretation that I want to see that I've never seen is that Dogberry, like all his malapropisms are everything and everything are because he wants to be an upper class, but he's kind of a fop and he's mm-hmm. like, he's play, <laughs> playing it kind of like so, a uh, Scarlet Pimpernel. I was going to say, yeah, the, yeah. the Percy Blakeney yes. version. Uh, that's what I want to see. A Percy Blakeney uh, Dogberry, where I think all the lines <laughs> would still work. Uh, you don't have to change a single line. It's just, that, you know, that's one thing I love about Shakespeare is all these different inter- interpretations. Someday I want to see that. <laughs> Can we talk about Don Pedro's proposal to Beatrice? Yes. I think that's really interesting. Like, yeah. Is that an, I mean, has he been interested in her for a while? Is this something that has just barely come up? Is that, you know, like, why does she refuse him? Is it out of shock? Well, she gives uh, the reason that she gives is kind of like, you're above my station Mm -hmm. and I can't Uh handle that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like she said, I I think the line is like, I would need, uh, like your formal wear. I need something for everyday wear. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but like you said, and I think Emma Thompson does a good job of kind of showing like surprise mm-hmm. and like startled, yeah, you know uh-huh. that. Um, and then quickly shifting into I need a reason, right, right, <laughs> and declining. Yeah, I don't. It is an interesting moment. Um, that says. Do you think? Do you think that the reason why she shies away from that is because her heart really belongs to Benedict? Uh, I, I'm game for that. <laughs> it could be, or at least, or at least that she wants to find someone who made her feel the way Benedict made her feel. Yeah. You know, who, mm-hmm. who can kind of match wits with her. I mean, even if it's like, you know, if Benedict 2.0 came along and wasn't a jerk <laughs> to her, maybe she would have ended up with him, but Don Pedro is, is hardly no. Benedict 2.0. So what does, what does he see in her? Why does he suddenly propose? So before that, even like he, he comments several times about that, you know, she's lovely mm-hmm. that she's got spirit. <laughs> you know, that, um, so it's, I mean, she is a force of nature in this play. Right. Like she does take over the scenes that yeah. she's in. And the only one that matches is Benedict, mm-hmm. but it's not an une- uneven pairing in any way. Right. So like you said, she needs someone that is, you know, th- that equal, not in, in like station. Cause obviously she's saying Don Pedro, you're above me in station, mm-hmm. but in wit mm-hmm. is what she needs. Um, but what does he see in her? I mean, <sighs> 
well, who doesn't see something of Beatrice? <laughs> she is a great character. She is. <laughs> she is such a great character. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I'm not surprised to see other people expressing this attraction to her, mm-hmm. um, which I think also works for this idea that Benedict still has that attraction to her because, like, you can't, you can't stop. Get over her. Yeah, you can't get over her. She's she's like Elizabeth Bennet, where almost every man in the play yes. is in love with oh, her. That was the, that, I was seconds away from saying, like, <laughs> next to Lizzie Bennet, Beatrice is my favorite female character in, the, in these stories. Oh, they, they're so good. Um, yeah, so can't get over her, but everyone is kind of has a crush on her, it mm-hmm. seems. And just Don Pedro, maybe it's because of his station, he's the one that can actually say it. <laughs> well, or or maybe because of his station, he's the one, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what what her, like she's she's um, Leonardo's niece, but I feel like it's on the other side of the family, because I don't think she's Antonio's niece. Is is she, Anto- uh, Brian Bl- isn't she Brian Bless's daughter? I don't no. think so. No? She never, like. Okay. They never have any kind of interaction that makes me think that. I, I always Brian that. Blessed is Antonio, right? Yes. Just for our listeners who are yes. confused by that. Brian Blessed <laughs> is in every Brana Shakespeare <laughs> adaptation. And um, he's Antonio. I just assume that her parents are dead and she's either the, the daughter of, a, of one mm-hmm. of Leonardo's siblings or maybe Leonardo's dead wife's sibling. Right. But, but regardless, she has no, I mean, she has no fortune. She has no title. She has no, um, She's not someone that, that you could marry because she's the heir to something, unlike Hero. Yeah, because it's it's established. Which, by the way, about Claudio and the things that we don't <laughs> like about Claudio, they slip this line in, and they do a good job of like having the line but not making it like too... But it's right. kind of a mercenary line where he's like, oh, I'm so in love with Hero. Does Leonardo have any sons? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Okay, good, good. <laughs> like, he's, he's pretty clearly saying, am I going to be the heir to this here, where we're at? <laughs> I'm just looking, I'm looking at the, this part where he proposes to her, where the prince proposes to Beatrice. Yes. And he says, well, he starts by mentioning to Leonardo and he says, she's a good spirited lady. And, and then later, um, they're talking about something, something, something. And then prince says, will you have me? Would you have me lady? And she says, no, my lord, unless I might have another for working days. Your grace is too costly to wear every day. Mm-hmm. But I beseech your grace, pardon me, I was born to speak all mirth and no matter. And then he says, your silence most offends me, and to be merry best becomes you. For out a question, you were born in a merry hour. And then she says, no, sure, my lord, my mother cried. But then there was a star danced, and under that was I born. Cousins, God give you joy. And then everybody else sort of joins into the thing. So it, it's interesting that he doesn't he doesn't address specifically her beauty, but her um, like her nature, like her, her good happiness, nature, her, her happiness. Yeah. yeah, that he like he's attracted to her not because she's like a super mega babe, but because she's good natured and he's happier when he's around her, which I but, think is really cool. Yeah. Well, but one of my favorite things is is something that Benedict says earlier on when Claudia's talking about how beautiful Hero is, and Benedict's like, "No, she's not nearly as beautiful as, as yeah. Beatrice is." You know, <laughs> like, like, yeah, <laughs> gee, Claudia or gee, uh, Benedict, you don't you don't still feel anything for Beatrice? Yeah, I think that's yeah. another yeah. one of those hints. Yeah. That- um, where he's like, how can you be in love with a woman unless it was Beatrice? Right. <laughs> and no one could love Beatrice, so therefore, yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. One other thing that I wanted to mention. So we've had occasionally um, Shakespeare adaptations where they modernize them and they put them in kind of a high school setting. So there's She's the Man and 10 Things I Hate About You. How have they not done this for a high school play where, or, or like in a high school setting uh, <laughs> where yeah, like it's all know. about prom night, the Warriors are football players, you know, coming I, in for the football I play. think maybe it has been done. How, okay. I've never seen it. I haven't seen it either. I, just, I think I just read about it on TV tropes. Okay, because I was going to say, how has this not been one of those that gets updated yeah. for the high school? I, like, you, you keep the plot lines, but you drop the Shakespeare language kind of I think the problem with the, like, death because you're not a virgin makes it really difficult yeah. to update. You, you, you clean that up. Like, you change that part. But then, okay, but no, then... <laughs> you you then break up is, because you assume they're... You think they made out with someone else, so you break up, but you don't pretend you're dead. You know, No, you don't pretend you're dead. You okay. just... You break up, and the, the date is off, and then the reconciliation is the date being back on for, okay. for prom or whatever. Maybe instead of dying, she gets mono. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would just keep her around. She doesn't actually disappear from the stage for several acts. <laughs> No, no, it's at it's at like a religious school. The chaplain says, "Let's pretend she has mono and can't go to the prom, but you can go to the prom with her cousin who's visiting from out of town." And then it's her. Okay, I'm, I'm working not for a, a scene by scene adaptation, but more like the ten things I hate about you version of adaptation. 
I like that. I like where we're going with this. I think I think we should do it. <laughs> uh, well, kind of like our homework one. If anyone knows someone, get them in yeah. touch with us and we'll write it. <laughs> if Kenneth Branagh is listening. <laughs> All right. One other uh, note that I want to be sure we touched on. There's a really cool thing with the costumes uh, that happens where like the costumes all look kind of the same. Like the soldiers are all wearing the same kind of uniform, but there's mm-hmm. some subtle things that distinguish some of them. Um, so like in this early scene when there's Don Pedro and Don John and, and uh, Claudio and Benedict and they're all hanging out, um, they all wear these kind of white button jackets and uh, and these, you know, they, they have their pants. pants. Right. But it's... Um, Actually, it's it's not all leather pants. So what happens is uh, Don... Sometimes the leather pants come off. Yeah. <laughs> well, when they're made. <laughs> when they get out of made. But Don John and his henchmen are all wearing black leather pants. Yes. And uh, Claudio and Benedict are wearing blue cotton pants. Mm-hmm. And then Don uh, Pedro, who's the link between them, is wearing blue leather pants. Ah. So he's got the color, but the, the fabric that kind of shows that he's the only reason these, this group is together, basically. Like, without Don, Don Pedro, Claudio and, and uh, Benedict would never hang out with Don John and Baraccio. Baraccio uh-huh. being a great name for a henchman, by the way. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so just, uh, it's one of those things that it's subtle. You can watch this movie probably, you know, 10 times and never see it. But then when you do notice it, it's like, oh, that's, that's actually pretty cool that yeah, they that put that cool. amount of thought into that. Yeah, good eye. It came out because of a paper I had to write about costumes and Shakespeare. And <laughs> <laughs> That's when I spotted it. <laughs> ah. ah, I like it. Okay, any final any final words on this before we put a bow on it? Where does this rank in your, like, Shakespeare plays? Do you Ooh. have favorite Shakespeare plays? Is this in there? Ooh, that's a really good question. In terms of plays I enjoy, this is probably at the top. I mean, I feel so, like, so like you could say Macbeth has better craft, but you don't right, enjoy watching that right. one. Or Hamlet has better lines, or you know. But, but I don't know about lines because there's. I mean, there's. I, I, it's just the tragedy versus comedy. There are some really fabulously scripted lines between Beatrice and Benedict in this. Yes, that yeah. the the wordplay is just astounding when you actually stop. Like if if you read the actual script and you're dissecting, and you are to the point in your Shakespeare studies that you can, you know, you, you, you know what's actually being said. I remember the first time I saw this, like, I was following the plot, but I probably was not appreciating the language. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the punnery and just everything that's flying fast and furious between them is amazing. I, I feel like the, the lines in Much Ado haven't made their way into the popular consciousness the Absolutely. way some other plays have. And yeah. I don't know if that's just it's not as well known or... Or if they're not as applicable, taking out of context. But then, some, I mean, they're they're such great lines that I kind of wonder why, you know, why we don't use them more. But I think at the top of my list uh, of comedies, I I think I would probably put um, Midsummer. That's yeah, Midsummer Night's Dream, and then this. Mm-hmm. But I think at the top of my Shakespeare list, I would put Hamlet. I, it's just when I there are, there are, every once in a while you come across a work where you just think. Man, this writer has reached a, a completely different like plane of existence. <laughs> or it happens several times when we're talking about Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, but Hamlet for me was like that moment. The, as a mature reader, the first time as a mature reader that I sat down and kind of engaged Hamlet, I was completely blown away. I like what you said about being a mature reader because we get introduced to Shakespeare when we're in junior high and high school, mm-hmm. and we're, we're probably just not ready. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's classic, so you you need kind of cultural awareness of Shakespeare, but yeah, uh, I probably wasn't ready for Romeo and Juliet to really appreciate what's going on in there. I you know, and, but but it's exposed to us then, and a lot of we form our opinions of Shakespeare often yeah. in that moment, and it kind of crystallizes. I think for a lot of people. And I agree with what you said. Like this version of Much Ado might be a good one that can crack that crystallized opinion of Shakespeare, yeah. make an old fuddy duddy uh, that's hard to understand. Um, yeah, and for me, uh, it's Much Ado is my favorite comedy. I think, and then Henry V is probably my favorite. I, I love the whole Henry cycle: Henry IV, Part One, Part uh-huh. Two, and Henry V. And there's a really, really good BBC adaptation of that. Uh, but. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but Hamlet's really good as a trend. Oh, I don't know. There's so many. Titus Andronicus, there's people being baked into pies in that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, put that at the top of the list. Yeah, then, so. yeah that, that leaps to the top. I, I always, uh, like, I saw a really good adaptation of Titus Andronicus, which maybe changed my opinion on it. I'd had to read it for class, and I was kind of like, oh, this is, this is weird. But then I saw a really good adaptation of it at uh, the Shakespeare Festival. It makes such um, a difference. 
What was it? It makes such a difference to, oh, see, to see the adaptation. Yeah, to versus see a reading good it. adaptation of a Shakespeare play versus reading it in class when you have to fill out worksheets and have some teacher telling you what everything means. And and this is me right before I'm going to teach this class <laughs> next week. But, man, teachers are the worst. But man, just to just to enjoy it and to say, wow, that's a great. It's a great. It's a great story. It's really well written. The dialogue, that snappy dialogue that we get in between Benedict and Beatrice is like foreshadowing of some of the really great dialogue that we see even now, like great TV shows that where we love the snappy dialogue or, or like great uh, film noir stuff, like like uh, Bogart and Bacall kind of or screwball stuff. Com- screwball comedies. Or screwball, screwball stuff, yeah, yeah like, uh, like bringing up Baby. I think Shakespeare really lays the groundwork for those kinds of relationships in a play like Much Ado About Nothing. This might not seem like a natural fit, but before I ended up studying comic book superheroes, I was going to grad school to study Shakespeare. <laughs> then I took a detour. <laughs> and like what I applied to my master's program is I said I was going to be studying Shakespeare, British lit Shakespeare. Uh, then ended up American lit superheroes. Almost the same thing. Uh, but I love Shakespeare. Great writer. I'm not the first to say it, and I won't be the last. Uh, so any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Nothing. I got nothing. All right. I think we're good. Thank you, Kirsta, for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on. You have a standing invitation to All the way from Provo. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review there. And if you uh, are wondering, you know, what if maybe you're new to the show and you want to know what to expect from the show, I would recommend going and reading some of the reviews there. There are some really excellent reviews, and thank you to those who have left them. Uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows and you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at protagonistpod. I'm at Todd K. Mack. He's at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And Kirsten, do you have a, a Twitter handle? Yes, I am BYU underscore librarian. BYU underscore librarian. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. And that's where a lot of our uh, discussion about about these uh, episodes happens. And I just want to throw out this. Um, I know that there are a lot of people that listen to this show and they they never say anything. They're what we call lurkers. <laughs> They lurk. lovingly call lurkers, Todd. <laughs> we, we love every listener. I know. I'm a lurker. No, I'm a lurker in uh, in a lot of different spaces on the internet. But uh, I just want to invite you to not be a lurker. Just let us know. Like, hey, it's me. Um, thanks for the show. It's great. Uh, we're not, like, so famous that, <laughs> that, that we won't uh, deign to um, respond or something. By just not is- so famous, Todd means to say. Not famous. Not famous at all. <laughs> no, it just uh, it's great when we hear from new listeners. So, Such as, I would like to thank listener Tessa for saying that she really can see Ralph and Jane being together from our shipping episode. <laughs> great comment. That's the exact kind of comment we're looking for. And on that note, I would like to thank Jessie for her actually really good pick for Ralph. But <clears throat> anyway, it's another show. Uh, if you would like to support us financially, there are a few different ways you can do it. If you want to buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation for the show with a monetary donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. And also don't forget to take advantage of great deals from Amazon by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash deals or making any purchases at protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. Uh, finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Bye-bye. Oh, oh, and uh, Todd, Todd, stop. What? Stop. Oh, please stop talking. Todd. Hi, Todd, you're breaking up. No, no. Could you... All right, I'm going to hand the earbuds Mm. to producer Andrew. You're going to... It's... He's gonna have to tell you when things are right. Okay, what's going on? Hang on. Is it still doing it? What was it doing? It was just breaking. Um, like you. Oh, would. <laughs> that. Like the olden days. Uh, okay, I have to go do some uh, do some voodoo magic. Okay. Um, I'll be do back. You want us to call you back, or is this the computer backing? No, up just again? give me a second. I'll be back. Okay. Okay. Um, it's not my just... computer backing up. <laughs>